My spirit has always existed as Nehio. Before I came Ursad, I was Nehio, and since I've been born, I have been Nehio. I will always be a Nehio Esquail. And on this journey through time, laws, and settler migration, I've felt distance between myself and what it means to be a Nehio. Our knowledge systems have hid, and they've been damaged. Because of this, I have a deep-rooted urgency and responsibility to reclaim my ancestral language, to speak Nehewewin into the world and to watch it dance through the sky. And that's why we're doing this series, the Endangered Indigenous Languages Project. Over the next four weeks, we'll be releasing a four-part series that shines a light on the Nehewewin speakers, learners, and revitalization efforts. Our guests come from all across the West, some raised in their language and some coming back to it. In this series, we'll dive deep into each of our guests' relationship with the language, their culture, and the land. While sharing Cree words and phrases along the way. We hope that you enjoy this project and cherish the conversations we had. We found purpose and responsibility within their words and stories. A responsibility to preserve our language for future generations. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this series. Kinesko now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. Today is our final episode in our four-part series on language revitalization. In this episode, we were able to sit down with Dr. Belinda Daniels. Dr. Belinda Daniels was raised by her maternal grandparents. She is from the community of Sturgeon Lake, First Nation, Saskatchewan, and later in her life, after graduate studies, is when she began her journey in Nehawin language recovery. Inspired by having and raising her family, she is self-taught and now teaches others how to teach and learn a second Indigenous language with the University of Victoria and throughout a non-profit organization called Nehawak Language Experience, which she founded 18 years ago. So Belinda is a PhD from the University of Saskatchewan of the Interdisciplinary Department, Graduate Studies. She holds the Canadian Teachers Federation Outstanding Indigenous Educator Award of 2015 and has been globally recognized as one of the top 50 finalists in the Global Teacher Prize of 2016. She has a long list of notable accolades, and we are so happy that she was able to take the time of her life to sit down with us and talk about the language that you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording uh, for you guys. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. Uh, Today is our final episode in our four-part language revitalization series. Today, we are joined by Dr. Belinda Daniels, um, and we are super, super excited um, to have you here with us, um, and we're excited to get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. So if you want to introduce yourself in whatever way you um, are most comfortable with. Um, Tansi Kakyo, Belinda Gagayo Seo Daniels, Nasiga Sun, Sturgeon Lake Ochimia, Neheo Mania. Nice, thank you so much. Um, so I think uh, I'll just start with some pre-context. I have... Um, in the past, been in one of your NLE language experience camps online, and I've followed your work for a little while, and I've spent some time with your PhD thesis. So when we got the opportunity to record a language series, it was a very clear ask to, to have you join us on the show, and so we're very honored and grateful to have you here. And that's kind of our pre-context, and we want to get to know you a little bit and mm-hmm. have our our listeners be able to engage in your work and your your wise words as well. So. Maybe if we start with the origins and what your relationship to the Cree language is. Um, 
my relationship is an intimate one. I find that the Nehewen language is kin, just like land. Um, I was raised by my grandparents, so hearing the language has always been home to me and always recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always grew up with the tone and the rhythm and the intonation and the hum and the vibration of Nehewewen. Um, so this is why I say I know the language intimately. However, there is a bit of separation to the extent that I am not a fluent speaker and I am a second language learner um, practicing always daily in my proficiency. Mm-hmm. So early on in your life, was were you able to speak the language? Did you speak the language in your home? I was never encouraged to speak Cree. Mm-hmm. I've listened to the language. Um, when I attempted to speak Cree, I was always told to hush and to speak English um, by my grandparents. And so as a child, I heard everyday words, everyday words such as like wanska, astamota, peimitsu, atoske, dogosamo, gaimachugaso, ponuta. Like I heard those kinds of words. Mm-hmm. Well, those are kind of like um, command, mm-hmm. directional kind of words. But it was never like, Blinda, come and sit down and tell me a story. Or I'm going to tell you a story. Or come here, I'm going to show you how to bake mm-hmm. Anik, but in Cree. It was never like that. Mm-hmm. I find that's like such a a big step because we learned how to conjugate verbs like very early on in a university classroom but it's like so i can say i ran today but i it's like i feel like such a the next step in order to like create entire sentences where i am like speaking it more than just like a simple what time is it (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing I also was reading, so it says that you were like, you were self-taught, which can you kind of like walk us through that process? Um, We don't have like, I mean, I was in university and that was kind of my only um, exposure to the language and Lexi's in a Cree language program. Um, So I guess like, can you tell our listeners like, what was that um, journey to self-teaching, self-education? Right. Well, when I say I'm self-taught, it means that basically I had to create my own classroom, mm-hmm. my own context. I had to create my own organic learning. And the only thing that came to my mind was going back home on Cree lands, learning from Cree people, speaking Cree to me. Mm-hmm. And there was no program guide. There was not mm-hmm. like follow along. Um, and same with the teachers the two teachers that I initially worked with, there was like, there was no script to it. Mm-hmm. So when I say self-taught, it was basically self, a self-discovery in itself. Mm-hmm. You So you talk about like, you had to return home to the land and that's like a very important thing. And I want to be able to explore because apart from me for this podcast is to like really gain a sense of 
passion and understanding and urgency for our listeners and for me personally to continue to practice this because it is it is hard when you feel like you're not surrounded by language learners to continue on to do it every day and to put an urgency to it and so I think that's what this podcast will be a gentle reminder to everybody listening and so I want to maybe explore this idea of like the land being connected to the language and being inherently connected to our Cree identity and what that kind of means and what that means to you. So say that question again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does the land mean like how is in your own personal journey through it, how have you discovered that the land is connected to the language because you had to go home through your self-teaching to the land and how is that connected to our Cree identity? Right, okay, so that is a good question that has often been overlooked, especially in our school systems. Mm-hmm. Language is where land comes from. And so people can say it. Mm-hmm but there's no real understanding or link to it unless you're outdoors and then someone is actually explicitly telling you how this is how this is so mm-hmm. so for example our language there are examples of our body parts our colors um what else is there body parts and colors are reflected in the land itself. Our animals, the sounds that they make are reflected um, in the land itself. And so this is what I mean by that. Um, So I'll give you some examples. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, take the word, this is a, this is a common example. So if you take the word I, miski sick, is also noted in the word for sky, which is ski sick. Mm. In the sky, kisi kok. Um, so that's like one example. Mm-hmm. Another, another common example is the word heart. Midday, midday, midday min is heart, but it's also related to strawberry. Midday, Midayman. Um, and then you look at the word um, for the word body is meow, but the word ayao is also something that's in existence, to mm-hmm. be in existence. Um, and then there's like the words like col- colors, for instance. The color green is askitaguao, but it also refers to the earth, aski. The color blue is sipitaguao but it also refers to what we say, what we refer to as the river, Sipi. Um, there's lots of examples in regards to color, like the color red, mm-hmm. is also the color of our blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so examples like that. And, the li- and, the, and then there's sounds that the animals like make. Like, for example, the word pipichu is a, is a reference to a bird. Um, which bird is that, pipichu? Blue jay? Um, and then there's a, the word we call owls. The mm-hmm. sounds that they make is uhu. But, or the sounds that they make is uhu. Sorry, I just got interrupted. Um, <laughs> So lots of examples like that, mm-hmm. how our language 
is a reflection of the land and our bodies. I feel like you can... In regards to our body, we literally also come from the land that we say we do. When I say Sturgeon Lake Ochinia, I'm literally from that place and I will go back to that place when my time is done. When my body is done here, I'll go back home, back to the land. I think it, that's like such a beautiful thing and thank you for sharing that. I'm finding through these conversations, I'm getting more insights of of why it's so important and it, it has, I've I've condom, I've like thought about this idea lots of being like, yes, the language comes from the land. Like you can say that and I can agree with it, but I, I feel like I don't fully understand what that means. And, and so I feel like I'm slowly learning to understand and I know that like it's coming apparent that language learning can't be done not necessarily on the land completely and like through that it's like such a cool thing because I can you talk about these things and I reflect back when I'm in northern Saskatchewan going on canoe trips and how those are like inherently tied to like who I am and who I'm becoming and how that was such a special relationship and I feel like that could also be tied to like languages being able to experience these things within the land and so yeah thank you for saying those sharing these teachings Another good example is um, the word for spirit. We all have a spirit within us. Um, and we call that a jack. But it's also, our spirit's also, again, related to the stars, a jack o suck. And then we have our trickster who we talk about in the wintertime, we saggy jack. So mm-hmm. all of those things are interconnected. And again, a reflection of the cosmos mm-hmm. um, out there yeah that's it's really um amazing that you shared this with us i i'm not a language learner um i had i just learned you know i took the two cree languages and i try implement just command words with my son at home but um making that like correlation to realizing that everything is so interconnected and our language is so important because I feel like so much is being lost in translation when we're speaking in English. Um, it doesn't give us the full meaning, meaning values, and values importance. behind. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say thank you because it was a really um, big aha moment of I need to learn my language. <laughs> yeah, so, so exactly. Some of the stuff in your academic work and, and with NLE is... Um, I think with language revitalization, because it's kind of a new, a thing that's being done within our last couple of generations, you you speak to how we haven't necessarily, we have fluent language speakers, but we haven't necessarily had language education programs in terms of like methodologies and how to teach, how to teach a second indigenous language, because it's not equivalent to teaching mm-hmm. a French language to, as a second language. So one of your big questions in your PhD was kind of exploring what makes language learners turn inward to gain knowledge and and what pedagogy, like how that is like conceptualized. And I was kind of wondering if you could talk about that, what you, what insights you had in that sense. Again, the Cree language guides us to go inward. And when I'm talking about going inward, I'm talking about like the values of the Nehiawak. I'm talking about the sacredness of the language itself and the land itself. 
um, the way of being, this idea of Bamatsu and moving forward is also about going inward. And it's basically a journey of self-discovery and it's a journey in regards to gaining wisdom. And, and it's a journey about going silent and being silent and being still. And it's a courageous journey too, because it often helps to learn how to be on your own, if that makes any sense. And it's totally a diametric opposite in regards to mainstream education, where all of those things are not even taught. And this idea of when journeying within and going within is also about a personal sacrifice that only that that learner who chooses to be a speaker can do. And so when I talk when I talk about this idea about going inward, it's really about sacrifice and what are you willing to do as a language speaker to get back the language? What are you willing to do? Mm -hmm. And then once you got the language, how are you going to share that? Um, so it's about relationship and it's about relationality and it's about accountability. Um, and it's really working. It's about working on yourself too and becoming this courageous individual choosing to be a speaker. Well, thank you. Very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you find through your, maybe if you want to touch on um, NLE and what, what that work looks like and what those relationships look like and maybe how you've been able to see other people be on the land and enjoy the Cree language and how I just think that's such important, beautiful work and a beautiful time thing to be a part of. And you guys fill up every every summer and so... Yeah, if you want to okay. touch on that. All right, so NLE um, is short for the Nihilwak Language Experience. And that experience started with a master's project back in 2003. And it was about me going inward and reclaiming who I am as a Nihilwak. And it was about going back home, going back to land, going back to Cree speakers who spoke the language in my home community. That was our academy. This is our original academy, mm -hmm. the language, the land in our home communities. And that's where NLE came from. And again, there was no guide. There was no book that said, this is how you do this. It was a journey of self-discovery, lots of mistakes and finding other people who wanted to do the same thing that I did. And it took some time, like it took a lot of time and even finding teachers mm -hmm. who are Cree speakers, teachers who also wanted to teach the language, just because someone who speaks the language doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're going to be a good teacher, mm -hmm. nor does it mean that they know how to teach a second language that is indigenous, which is totally different from any other European language. It's not like French. It's not like Italian. It's not like Spanish. Mm -hmm. 
And it's a relatively new phenomenon, this idea of Indigenous language revitalization. Like we're just getting started mm -hmm. in Indigenous language methodologies and development and theory. And then you have to add trauma-informed education. Um, and then you have to add practice and tons of listening, mm -hmm. all of those things. And so NLE started almost 18 years ago in Sturgeon Lake First Nations, where I'm from. Um, and every year we're growing, we expand, we get bigger and better. And that, and I'm always finding out other teachers who are interested in language development and theory. Um, so it's always ongoing. Mm -hmm. And I was going to share that it's a language camp and I draw on the approach that comes from um, community language learning, a community language learning method that was developed by Charles Curran. Um, its principles are based on more of a counseling approach. So we as teachers act like language coaches, language counselors. Okay. Um, and it's about a space and a place that is recreating old ways, just like our ancestors have always done, being mm -hmm. out on the land and learning to speak the language outdoors. It's such a refreshing and therapeutic feeling. Um, and the role of family and kin within the language camps just naturally fall into place without anybody mm -hmm. pointing them out or saying this is, this is what this is or this is what that is. That doesn't happen at language camp. Mm -hmm. It's very holistic and it's very positive and it creates strong Nehio identities among those of us who are Nehiwak who come. Mm -hmm. And those who are not Indigenous, who are not Nehio, they learn how to look at the world the way we look at the world as alive, mm -hmm. as kin, and that the earth is, the earth can feel, the earth can the earth knows that we're there. The land knows that we're there. The animals know that we're there. The trees know that we're there. And we refer to the trees as alive, the animals alive, the rocks is al are alive, the sun is alive. And so when you look at the world that way, it definitely makes you think about being more respectful, being outdoors, mm -hmm. being respectful to the trees, being respectful respectful to the earth itself and to the and to the rocks and to the animals and to the birds um and that's what language camp teaches not only does it teach you language but it teaches you how to behave it teaches you how to believe believe it mm -hmm. teaches you how to you know be a good citizen mm -hmm. be a good human citizen i think that's um, I think that's such a good thing because I think about like schools nowadays and how I've been reading about like compassion and kindness and it's like more important to me and I feel like for you raising Hunter to be like how am I going to create a kind compassionate son that has values mm -hmm. instilled in them instead of somebody who's just necessarily like within our mainstream education system. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to mom about this the other day and I said that I wish that my son wouldn't have to go to like a Western society school and I could create something for him where he's learning on the land and he's like, he gets to be a part of our community that we're currently building 
and he could just be with me and we could teach him and um, and so that he he got to really experience human connection through his education instead of a, a classroom setting mm-hmm. well, I was just recent I was just reading um, recent studies not too long ago how being outdoors being raised on the land and mm-hmm. interacting with the land like community gardens for instance mm-hmm. it eliminates this idea of being ADHD mm-hmm. uh, it eliminates um, anxiety and hypertension mm-hmm. and learning disabilities mm-hmm. um, so anything outdoors is wellness mm-hmm. and good medicine mm-hmm. um, so I guess for some of our listeners like how would one um, get involved in attending in your language camp Usually it's April 1st that we have a public announcement and it's usually made it's usually made on our website uh, nehewalklanguage.org um, and we have a registration process and we do fill up like within minutes um, <laughs> I know <laughs> and this is like a hobby turned I don't know a huge sensation now like mm-hmm. we've we have the same people coming like every year now for the fat for the past five seven years mm-hmm. like, and it's like an annual language camp and every year we get bigger and better mm-hmm. and more efficient at teaching language um we as language teachers and i was just writing something about our camp just not too long ago that i'll share with you um I say that a compelling aspect about language camps is that we get a lot of inquiries about how it dis- differs from a cultural awareness camp. Mm-hmm. We are a language proficient camp. So at this camp, you're going to learn to listen. You're going to develop a year, an ear. You're going to go through language drills throughout the day for a whole week. You'll be saturated in the language 20 times over 20 different ways. You're going to hear the same words repetitively um, and these words will mingle in your mind and in your heart and in your soul even when you're sleeping so you'll remember them mm-hmm. um, and we also like to encourage our learners to show what you don't know because most often we'll hide that yeah but if we know what you don't know this makes us better teachers and this informs our teaching practice um, and then what we do as teachers is we observe learners speaking in the language informally and talk amongst ourselves who needs more help, who needs more coaching like that of parents. Um, we want to help improve your speech and we want you to feel better about who you are and how you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of assessment and practice or assessment, this idea of assessment it's not the way we look at it through a Western lens, mm-hmm. but it's how we, it's how you grow up in the language while at language camp. And we want you to demonstrate that. And that's how we help you. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. And um, like my son is uh, is 16 months old and that connection of like, if you hear it all the time there, I was just reading that if you allow a kid to try learn on there and you're trying to do it for them they won't really like 
I guess they won't retain it. Um, but if you let them do it, they'll retain it within a 20 time um, movement instead mm -hmm. of you trying to do it. So, and it's, it's changing the numbers is crazy. So that, that idea of a lot, like emerging yourself in your language and hearing it and your body will remember it um, is really beautiful. Um, so I guess like when you were, like if you could share a few words with your younger self before all of this, like what would you say? Um, I was just thinking about that uh, <laughs> earlier today. So if I was going to give myself my younger self advice, I would have been more insistent on having my grandparents speak Cree to me when they were still alive. Mm -hmm. I would have been more insistent on that. And I would have been more, I would have pushed myself harder when it came to practicing um, speaking and being allowed to make mistakes, like allowing myself to make mistakes. Because mm -hmm. more often than not, we're, we, we are our biggest criticizer mm -hmm. and we're always worried about what other people will think or say about us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would have said, Guillaume, make mistakes, <laughs> push yourself, speak the language. And I would have just said to my grandparents, um, let's make it a habit whenever I come home to visit that all you do is spipik skuin nehewewen. It's a, I understand where you're coming from in order to like make mistakes because it's so much easier to say something in English than to feel like I'm going to butcher it in Korean. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I've also would have said, I've also would, um, I also probably would have started, um, you know, speaking Cree to my children, like, when I had them, when mm -hmm. I first had them. Mm -hmm. That's another thing I would have told myself. Mm -hmm. Are your children engaged within the language as well? Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, I have four children, uh, three adult children. My two older ones um, were in their teens by the time I woke to the idea of speaking Cree and then I have two younger ones and mm -hmm. my two younger ones are more engaged and learn how to and have learned how to speak Cree mm -hmm. um, at a beginner proficient level mm -hmm. so my youngest is 10 and we can have a daily conversation about how was school how was your day um, what did you do are you hungry are you tired what would you like to eat mm -hmm. um, that kind of conversation mm -hmm. and she can respond that's very sweet this is a question out of self-interest um, recently you moved to Victoria are you finding any barriers or trouble having still within this language learning journey and being able to practice it being away um, from per se like other fluent speakers actually that's a good question um, not really, because <laughs> the majority of the people I talk to are on Zoom, yeah. or I text them, yeah. and I also I also teach Cree classes online, mm -hmm. um, so there hasn't been any setbacks there, and 
I was actually quite surprised, but there is a huge Cree population here on the island, mm-hmm. and they actually have Cree classes at the local um, Friendship Center. Okay. Um, and there are other Cree-speaking people here, so it hasn't been too much of a setback. Mm-hmm. But I do plan to go home in July every year, every summer while I'm here to continue with the language camps. Mm-hmm. That's a nice yeah. thing to reground yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe because we're getting a little close on time here, we'll ask one last question. And it's, what what do you hope for for the future? What, yeah. Um, what do I hope for the future? I hope that... I hope that there are more language and land-based learning centers as opposed to schools, mm-hmm. mainstream schools. Mm-hmm. I hope that um, Indigenous languages are finally, you know, respected the way the French language is, or even ESL, English as a Second Language, mm-hmm. um, and gets the type of money that we should be receiving like as the original peoples of this land. This land is our home. Mm-hmm. And like where is the where's like the integrity that goes with that? Where is the the moral obligation that goes with goes with that? Like we're the original peoples of this land. Mm-hmm. We should be living like kings and queens mm-hmm. and we, our land should be vast and full of our people and full of, full of our, our ways of being and our ways of knowing and our ways of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be practicing our governance systems. We should be practicing our kinship systems. Um, it should be like all of that. That's mm-hmm. where I wish to see ourselves in the future, like our own land-based spaces and our own language programs with the same amount of respect as French gets. And everybody within the next 10 years should at, ha- should at least have 3,000 or yeah, 3,000 words in their vocabulary to become proficient. Like we are on this journey of a decade Mm-hmm. of Indigenous languages from United Nations. So it's a challenge to all of us, mm-hmm. to the both of you, to have 3,000 words in your vocabulary, whether you're Nehio or not. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing that with us. And I just want to say thank you to you have made, I mean, you're leading the way of a Cree language. That's a my arm's just hurting. Sorry. <laughs> that's a that's a very large call out. So I want I feel intimidated intimidated by this idea of three thousand words, and I think anybody would because that's a lot of work. But I think it's it's through this conversation, mm-hmm. through the conversations we've had, it's what's it's what has to happen, and it's what I have a responsibility to. And so, although I feel intimidated, I also feel thankful for you for saying that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh- my only last comment that I would like to say and suggest is that um, 
in my thesis work, I call for a change the way in the way that we teach language. Mm-hmm. We, we need to acknowledge language and look at language through the gaze of the land, as opposed to what we're doing right now, which is mainly grammar, mm-hmm. grammar based from a Latin approach. Mm-hmm. Nehio Weiwen doesn't work that way or any of the other indigenous languages. Mm-hmm. It's all from the land. Mm-hmm. It's all from the land. Mm-hmm. Well, can I ask now? Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Good. Thank you so Hi, much. Thank you, thank yes. you for inviting, inviting me, and I hope um, people get a lot out of that. <laughs>